I wonder if uh, any of you have ever been in a life-threatening situation. Um, they say, you know, they use the term in fear for your life. And as believers, we may not, may not have been actual fear, but facing, by surprise perhaps, uh, what you thought was going to be the end of your time here on earth. Uh, it's something, if you haven't experienced that, it's, it's an interesting time. Uh, I have, more than once, but I, the th one that stands out, I mean dramatically stands out, was uh, many years ago, thankfully, learned better since, uh, I worked at a stop and rob. Uh, it's called a convenience store these days. <laughs> uh, twice in eight days, armed robbery. I was the only guy in there. So I was the guy who got robbed. It was actually a store that got robbed. First guy just showed me his 38 and said, give me the money. And I thought about that for two or three seconds and gave him the money. <laughs> the next guy came in and he pulled out his 38. It was blue steel, 38 snub nose revolver. You could see the bullets in the chamber. And he held it on me like that. And I just knew, either by accident or on purpose, that guy was going to shoot me. I just knew it. And I thought, well, didn't expect to die tonight, but uh, looks like that's going to happen. And I knew the Lord. I looked forward to seeing him. So I wasn't afraid of him killing me. I was sorry that I was going to not be able to say goodbye to Betty and our, at the time, one daughter. Uh, but then another thought crowded in. Uh, you know, he might not kill you meaning not that he wouldn't hurt me, then you might shoot, but it might not kill me. And that bothered me a lot. I didn't like facing that. Uh, but God intervened. This guy got very little money. I got to tell you why. We were selling money orders hand over fist that night. I mean, it was just enormous amounts of money were coming into that store for these money orders. And uh, we were supposed to hide the money not in the safe, but you know, take a, like a bag and just toss it under the counter so it didn't look like anything but a bag. Uh, but I didn't have time to do it because you couldn't do it when there were people in the store and they could see you do it. And so I just kept stuffing the money in my pockets. I pulled it out of the register and <laughs> I, you know, I had both my pockets were stuffed with 20s. I mean stuffed, I could hardly get any more in there. And it was so scary having that guy hold a gun on me. He said, give me all the money. I thought I did. And he got about $100 out of the cash registers. And when they came to count the thing down to find out how much we lost, the manager, the district manager goes, oh, no. And I said, what's the matter? He says, all this money. And I go, oh, yeah. And I started pulling, <laughs> pulling the money out of my pockets. He was relieved. Uh, I was relieved to be alive. Uh, God intervened and he protected me, as he had in other cases. Betty and I know a couple uh, that many years ago were driving a VW Bug, if you remember what those are, uh, up into the mountains. And they were at a place where on the you know, right side there was pretty sheer climb, no shoulder on the road. 
On the other side of this two-lane road, there was a drop-off that you wouldn't want to go over either. So they're pretty well trapped on this two-lane road. They came around a curve, and here came a car the other way, heading right for them, great speed. They were seconds away from a front-end collision. It's a bigger car than they were in. And at the last moment, they were just new. They were about to die. That car, because God intervened, took flight, and it went over their car. There was no ramp. There was no reason for it to happen other than God intervened. It wasn't their time to leave this earth, and he wanted to demonstrate that he's in control, I guess. Uh, it impressed them. Uh, would have impressed me. God intervenes in all of our lives, maybe more frequently than we know. Uh, one thing that's kind of interesting is medical science still hasn't figured out why our hearts beat or keep beating. So every time it beats, uh, that's kind of God's deliverance from us leaving this earth. Because there's not much we can do to keep it going. You don't have to think about it. It just keeps beating. So we have a lot to be thankful for because God built into us a desire to live. But he built into us this desire to live for a reason. It's because he lives. And he wants us to live in him. And what we're going to talk about, some of these things we're going to talk about this morning, is being grateful for that. Uh, the basis for that gratefulness is acknowledging that God is our creator. He is almighty God. There is none other. He alone is God, and he ordained that we would be born. As the scripture plainly teaches, it's God who opens the womb. So nobody's here by accident. We were appointed to be born. And he wants us to be born again. To recognize that we are separated from him because of sin. A sin nature, we're sinners by birth and we are sinners by choice. We choose to do wrong, we choose to ignore him. We, so all these things we choose to do that are not honoring to him and they're bad for us. So Jesus, at the beginning of his earthly ministry, scripture says he began to preach repentance. Turn away from being our own God to the one true God. And to recognize that our sinful self creates a sin debt against that holy God. And we can't pay the debt. That Jesus Christ paid that debt when he died on that cross. And he rose again from the dead. Proving that God accepted the sacrifice. And he lives today making intercession for his people. It's a reason for us to be grateful and thankful. And to have a whole attitude in life of gratefulness. In a Sunday school class recently I suggested that we ought to write down everything we ought to be thankful for. And there's this lady down, I don't remember... Uh, which one it was, one of the ladies a little farther down the table said, well, that'll take a while. <laughs> and it's right. You start thinking about for what we should be grateful. 
before the Lord. The scripture says every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variableness nor shadow of turning. Um, do you like things in life? Do you like beautiful days like we have today? Do you like it when it rains? Do you like the clouds? Do you like fog? Do you like snow? Do you like it that we can have light inside a building that's been built in such a way that it meets our needs? And uh, Do you like the fancy electronics we have and uh, you know, pianos and people that can play a piano and uh, clocks and calendars and uh, paper that we can all have our own copy of God's Word and other things? Do you, do you like those things? Do you, do you like it? Do you enjoy it? Uh, every single thing that's of benefit to us is from him. He either made the thing like a tree or he gave someone the intelligence and the skill to make the thing, rearrange stuff that God provided and we wind up with a piano. Or somebody has the talent that God gave and the willingness to use that talent and they learn how to play that piano to the, for the enjoyment of all of us and the praise of the Lord. We have a lot of reasons to be grateful Thankfulness and gratefulness are a theme all through the scripture and the problems that arise when we're not thankful or grateful. Um, Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So the absolute basic foundation of pleasing God is believe he exists. Uh, you'd think that with all the evidence around, that shouldn't be too hard. I think people have to try real hard not to believe that God exists. But with that, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And surely he is that. Psalm 118.1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. You start thinking about, I start thinking about me and the Lord, and the more I think about the gap between us, the more grateful I am for his mercy. Uh, I need his mercy. And that's one of the reasons that God instructs us very clearly to be merciful to others. Mercy belongs to God. He loans it to us and we have to pass it along. Forgiveness, the scripture says, belongs to God. And we're not to just get the benefit of it, we're to pass that along. Otherwise, we're guilty of embezzlement. We've taken what isn't ours and kept it from where it should go. Romans 1, 16 through 21 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. That's really profound. There's nobody out there 
that can truly claim to be an atheist because God has put a knowledge of himself into mankind. God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. For what? For him revealing himself to this person he created. And for all the benefits for his mercy, for his loving kindness, for all that he does. He wants us to be th thankful. When we're not, when we don't glorify him as God and we're not thankful, it says they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Revelation 4.9 says the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever. Thanksgiving is just woven all through God's word. He wants us to have some appreciation for all the benefits of being his creation and part of his creation and all the things he's done to support us in our lives. He... <laughs> I like the verse up here. It's, I think I've got parallel one in here, uh, because even with the problems that we face, the difficulties that we face, in those, he builds lessons for uh, building our faith, uh, building our character, learning to trust him more, becoming a testimony to what he can do in a person's life when they face adversity. All these wonderful things, even in the midst of things that are very hard and very difficult as, uh, to face in life. He says, give them to me and I'll work through you and I'll glorify myself and benefit you for it, through it. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30 says, it's the Lord Jesus who said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. <clears throat> for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Uh, it's a verse I like to use a lot when talking with the inmates, because they are burdened, a lot of them. Uh, and they haven't given that burden to the Lord if they're feeling that burden because that isn't the Lord's burden on them, it's their own burden on them that's so heavy and so hard to live with. Jesus' burden is light that he has us carry. You'll probably remember from uh, the book of Exodus Something miraculous, a lot of miraculous things, but one particular miraculous thing that God did in the parting of the Red Sea. He opened that thing up and the entire nation of Israel crossed over on dry ground, regardless of what television may try to teach us. Uh, it says dry ground they crossed over. And 
I don't know if I can comprehend the magnitude of that miracle. But it was important enough that it has, you see it repeated in scripture where people look back at it, you know, in Psalms and uh, I believe Stephen included it in his history of Israel that, you know, before he was stoned to death. Um, we tend to be a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately people. If God did something way back then, it's like, well, okay, that's over, that's gone, that's past, today's today, what are you going to do today? I don't think God appreciates that attitude too much. I think he expects us to revere him for what he's done all the way back to creation that he's reported to us. Talking about using Genesis, a wonderful thing to do to ground the young people. Uh, and we need to be grounded in the creation account. Because it's miracle after miracle. God making, making something out of nothing. I had a, heard a story that I can't take the time to share now of a little boy who uh, wanted to color Easter eggs. And he was all excited and decided he'd get a head start. And he got the water boiling, then he put the refrigerated eggs into the water. And he found out what happens when you do that. They all cracked and, you know, the stuff came out inside. And he only had just those eggs. And so he cried. And the parents heard him crying and just a little guy. And they said, what happened? And he told them. And they said, well, it's too bad. Uh, learned a good lesson. You know, always put them in cold water and then heat it up. Don't put them in hot water. And... And uh, the, little, the parents were not believers, but the little boy was. And they left him in there, in the kitchen. And he thought, you know, my teacher in Sunday school said that God does miracles. And he can do anything. And so he prayed that God would heal the eggs. And uh, we'd all do that, right? Maybe not. Uh, well, God healed the eggs. Uh, he, they heard him squealing and <laughs> laughing. Uh, and they ran back in there and they looked in the pot. <laughs> the eggs were, there was, you know, the whites weren't out in the water anymore. And they were boiling away in there. And they thought, what happened? He said, God healed my eggs. <laughs> you know, for you know, childlike faith, it worked. And uh, the father, when they, you know, got done with their time, took those eggs apart. And, uh, well, actually, they dyed them first and... Uh, there was not one crack and one shell because none of the dye got inside when they did open them up and very carefully opened the first one and everything was absolutely perfect in that egg. And the guy, that was a missionary that was sharing this story said he shared that story in a, uh, uh, in a Baptist church and I, I'm not complaining about Baptist, I, I was one. Uh, could have been maybe even one like this. Uh, church or the kind of beliefs that we have and it said they had trouble with it they didn't believe the story they thought it was just a story and so he that you know God wouldn't do something like that and uh, he asked him how many believed in creation the creation account that God made everything out of nothing and all the hands went up he says well wouldn't it be easier for God to make eggs out of egg stuff than it would be to make everything out of nothing 
we, we ought not to doubt God and what he can do and what he will do in a given situation. That same missionary likes to ask the question, when did God do the last miracle for you? Uh, and we say we often, he said, we often don't give him the opportunity. You know, we'll go to the phone instead of to prayer uh, to solve a problem. Uh, when we ought to go before the Lord and ask him if he'd like to show himself strong in this way, uh, in whatever way we're talking about, uh, before we get in and take the lead and try to fix whatever it is. This is particularly important when it comes to dealing with others. When we've got a problem with people, uh, rather than our plotting and planning about how to, how to deal with them, uh, first and foremost... We ought to be on our face before the Lord uh, because he's the one that knows their heart. He's the one that knows what needs to happen. He's the one that knows if they need uh, help from someone else, who would be best for that person uh, to hear from or how to hear from them. Uh, he does all kinds of wonderful things. I heard uh, this fellow that trains in evangelism say that he had made a commitment that and when he traveled in business, he would not turn on the television in the motel room or hotel room he stayed in because uh, <clears throat> of all the dangers that came along with television. And he went in, I uh, was traveling one particular time, uh, and uh, I want to call him Bob, his name is not Bob, uh, but he uh, went into this room and he said that uh, Initially, it was almost like without thinking, but he said he thought about it. He just chose to turn that thing on. And he turned it on, and there was some movie was on there, and there were three people in the scene, and one of them said, what about Bob? And the next one said, oh, the devious one. He shut it back off. <laughs> Did God arrange that? Was that actually a movie? I don't know. I know that God does miracles in, on a lot of different levels for a lot of different reasons, and we can trust him for that. And we ought to ask him, I'd like to be able to testify to your great power that's the same as it was back there when you parted the Red Sea for Israel. And I want to remember that. Did anybody in here thank him for parting the Red Sea for Israel? It occurred to me that I'd never thanked him for that. What a wonderful thing. It preserved the Messianic line. It, it, you know, the nation of Israel was being born and they were about to be wiped out by this army that was really coming after them. Never thanked him for parting the Red Sea. <laughs> well, we ought to. I ought to. I think we ought to thank him for everything he's revealed in Scripture about his mighty power and his love and his compassion and particularly what he did and all the wonderful things he's done to, that, that preserved the messianic line so that our Savior was born at the time and the place that he was supposed to be from the lines that he was supposed to be uh, from and everything just perfect and precise. Even though you see the world, the flesh, and the devil doing its best to destroy it. But God is sovereign. God is almighty. He's powerful. We can trust him and his will will go forward. And we can just rejoice in that and either cooperate with it and get the benefit of cooperating with him or see him work his will in spite of us 
and we can sorrow and have to repent over not being part of it. Anybody ever ask for prayer and you think, well, I'll pray, and then you don't? And then you find out what happened is this great victory that God worked. You're happy for them, but you're not, you don't have the same joy you would have had if you would have been a participant in the prayer. Um, well, let's look at Exodus 15 about God parting the Red Sea. They've just come out of there, and then God decided that he had parted it long enough. And you know the story about the Pharaoh's army being completely wiped out. He popped the wheels off their chariots, and he caused the sea to close over them. And it says that then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song to Jehovah and spoke saying, I will sing unto Jehovah for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. My strength and song is Yah. That's the root word for God. And he is become my salvation. This, this is my Elohim and I will glorify him. My father's Elohim, and I will extol him. Jehovah is a man of war. Jehovah is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army, he is cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths covered them. They sank to the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, Jehovah, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, Jehovah, has dashed in pieces the enemy. And by the greatness of your excellency, you have overthrown your adversaries. You sent forth your burning wrath, and it consumed them as stubble. And by, your breath, by the breath of your nostrils, the waters were heaped up. The stream stood as a mound. The depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my soul shall be sated upon them. I will unsheath my sword, my hand shall dis dispossess them. You blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank as lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, Jehovah, among the gods? Who is like unto you, glorifying yourself in holiness? Fearful in praises, doing wonders. You stretch out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You, by your mercy, have led forth the people that you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength and unto the abode of your holiness. The people heard it, and they were afraid. A great fear seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the princes of Edom were amazed. The mighty men of Moab trembled and seized. Trembling has seized them. All the inhabitants of Canaan melted away. Fear and dread fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people pass over, Jehovah, till, your, till the people pass over that you have purchased. You shall bring them in and plant them in your mountain, in the mountain of your inheritance. The place that you, Jehovah, have made your dwelling, the sanctuary, Adonai, that your hands have prepared. 
Jehovah shall reign forever and ever. For the horse of Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen came into the sea, and Jehovah brought again the waters of the sea upon them. And the children of Israel went on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the tambour in her hands, and all the women went out with her with tambours and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing to Jehovah, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he hath thrown into the sea. Let's stop there. You read that and you begin to get a little sense of how, how excited those people were. And we ought to be excited too. His mighty power, and he has not stopped using that power. He uses it yet today. If we had time, uh, Betty and I both could share many a story about how God intervened. Uh, we've seen him intervene in our lives, both in the jails and outside of the jails. He's a, a wonder. Uh, he's fantastic. And it's a joy to praise him and a joy to recognize when he does intervene in various ways. Uh, the, uh, I love that song we sang today, uh, To God Be the Glory. Because the first, God, uh, first song God ever told me he wanted to hear. Uh, I had never asked God about how to pray for others. I just prayed. So the Holy Spirit had a lot of work to do fixing what I was praying. But on one occasion, I had to pray uh, what I thought was going to be like an hour for the same thing. And I'd never done that before and didn't know how to pray. I started pleading. It was a death row of Turka prison. And they were, uh, my brother was uh, sharing the gospel with these three inmates. And uh, I started pleading for their salvation. And God said, why don't you just save your breath? Uh, what makes you think you want them saved more than I do? Didn't say it exactly like that, but that's a definite sense I had. Uh, and so I repented. I said, I'm so sorry. I know you want them saved more than I do. I don't even know those guys except by their names. Uh, but I promised I'd pray. How should I pray? And things started being impressed on my heart to pray for the guy that was doing the speaking, that he would be clear and all the things he needed to be able to, to do for his language to be translated clearly and began to pray. The next thing that came up was for the interpreter that he would hear clearly and understand the message and put clear, concise phrases together and then began to pray for these men that they would hear and understand and that the gaps in the message because of the translation wouldn't be a distraction to them. And around and around it went, praying for each one over and over until finally uh, the prompting stopped. And I said, anything else? And he said, I want you to thank me for saving them. And I almost said, wait a minute, they haven't prayed the prayer. Because <laughs> he wasn't done with the gospel presentation. But they don't have to do that, do they? What they have to do is believe. And they had come to a point of belief by witness of the Holy Spirit to me. So I began thanking him and praising him for the salvation of these three. And then the promptings for that stopped. And I just stood there. I said, anything else? And he said he wanted a song. And by then I finally learned, so I asked, what song? <laughs> and that was the song. 
To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life an atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. And he reminded me of all the verses. I couldn't repeat the verses right now. It was just in my heart before him. And since then, I've asked him frequently, uh, what do you want me to pray? Because <laughs> uh, I learned that I don't know, but he does. Well, this scene back there on the far side of the Red Sea was joyous. Everybody's excited. They're singing. They're dancing. They're just rightly in awe before God. But as human nature is, it didn't stay that way, did it? Let's pick it up at verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of the place was called Marah, and the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. For I, Jehovah Rapha, the mighty who heals, that means, uh, for I am Jehovah Rapha. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees, so they camped there by the waters." Isn't it just like us, no matter what God did yesterday, to go to complaint today? And God says, don't do that. Trust me. My agenda for you is to teach you to trust me. When you face these difficulties in life, the response is to trust in me. See, it's his agenda for the whole entire human race. What, what do we present to people who don't know the Savior? Trust in Jesus. Well, trust what? That he is God, that he paid for our sin when he died on that cross, that God raised him from the dead, and he's at the right hand of the Father today. Trust that these things are true, because God has uh, given you the capacity to do that. Faith is as surely a gift as grace is. We don't naturally turn to the Lord. We supernaturally Turn to the Lord because he calls us. We owe him everything. He is a wonderful Savior. He is a wonderful God. And the only problems we have is when we're not grateful, we're not thankful, we don't honor him as God, and then our think thinking becomes futile, and our hearts, our foolish hearts, become darkened. Now, I know that's talking about non-believers, but it applies, I believe, to believers also. If we're not grateful, if we don't honor God as God, and we're not thankful before him, we'll become futile in our imaginations. Uh, all you've got to do is just sit around a few church meetings. 
And you can know that's true. And I'm not condemning this congregation in any way. I don't mean that. But uh, I remember a board meeting for the camp, our camp, years ago. And the venom that was being poured out of some of those mouths was astounding. Absolutely, completely contrary to the attitudes that ought to be in a believer. And two different men that were sounding like that and being extremely critical of others. And it's not that the others were sinless. They weren't. There's plenty of sin to go around. Both of them declared, you all know me. You know I have a, a, a servant's heart. Well, I didn't say it, but what I thought it was, I wonder in what jar of formaldehyde they have that heart somewhere down in their basement, which servant they ripped it out of. Because they surely couldn't have been saying they themselves have a servant's heart. Because that wasn't servanthood that was coming out of those mouths, at least not serving the Lord God. We need to let him examine us and turn away from our own attitudes that are acceptable by the world, the flesh, and the devil, and go to the attitudes that he displays here. I think that rejoicing of Israel after they got through the Red Sea ought to be the, the basic attitude of any believer. We ought to be filled with his joy and gratefulness for his deliverance. If you like life, you're living by his grace and his mercy. Let's thank him for it. Uh, and all the other ways that he touches our lives and protects us and keeps us safe. And no matter what we're facing right now, as far as difficulty or hardship might be, it says that he'll, he's going to work that out one way or another. That we need to trust him in the midst of the difficulty. We know that you know, the sure cure for being discouraged, even for clinical depression, is rejoicing in the Lord. It's lifting up his name in praise. Doesn't mean that, that the pain will leave. It doesn't mean that the situation necessarily will get resolved the way we would want it resolved. But it changes our heart. To rejoice in him and give credit where credit is due. Credit is due him for parting the Red Sea. Credit is due him for that plan that unfolded from the beginning of time on earth to provide a savior for us. And to provide wisdom, knowledge, and understanding for this life so we can glorify him. It's why we're here is to glorify him. And I, I, I don't want to in any way diminish whatever suffering or pain you might be enduring right now. It might be great. It might be severe. Uh, and it doesn't mean not to take it before him. You, you surely can. We ought to. He tells us to. We ought to take it before him with joy and confidence in him. Joy isn't necessarily feeling happy. Happiness tends to be related to happenings. Joy is a character quality of Christ, of confidence in Jesus Christ, confidence in God the Father, confidence in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, 
that God will work his will out through me and through the situation that I'm dealing with. Um, he'll open my eyes to see how he's doing that so that I can trust in him and be uh, at peace. His burden is light. So if I'm feeling a heavy burden, it's not his burden. It's mine that I haven't given him. You know, I think one day we're going to get to hear, I don't know this for sure, but I think we're going to get to hear the Song of Moses. It's interesting, uh, we were just reading in Exodus 15, well over in Revelation 15, I don't want to read too much into that because the numbers weren't there back when we got this. Um, but it mentions the Song of Moses in this passage in Revelation 15, starting at verse 1. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and wonderful, seven angels, angels having seven plagues, the last, for in them the fury of Almighty God is completed. And I saw as a, and I saw as a glass sea mingled with fire, and those who had gained the victory over the beast and over its image and over the number of its name, standing upon the glass sea, having, harp, having harps of Almighty God. And they sing the song of Moses, bondman of the Almighty, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and wonderful are thy works, Adonai Almighty. Righteous and true are thy ways, O King of nations. Who shall not fear thee, O Adonai, and glorify your name? For you only are holy. For all nations shall come and do homage before you. For your righteousness has been made manifest. Indeed. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are just overwhelmed by your greatness, your power, your authority, but also with your loving kindness and your mercy and your marvelous grace. Thank you for life. Thank you for allowing us to be here today and look into your word. Thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for caring for the likes of us. Thank you for letting us praise you. Thank you for calling us together to remember the person and work of Jesus Christ. He's the righteous one, the holy one, our Lord and our Savior. Thank you, O oh God, in Jesus' name, amen.